Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. And uh, yeah, guys, we are just kind of letting the, the, the calendar roll out at this point. The Mets were eliminated from playoff contention on Saturday. Uh, it's not like they had any, uh, apparently, any life in them anyway. They've been absolutely, uh, they, they look like they have checked out. And, I, you know, you guys know me. I'm an eternal optimist, but I know uh, I know it when I see it, and this team is checked out. But we'll get into all that. And um, I think Keith Hernandez on Sunday put it best. He said it during the sixth as things were falling apart. He said, this is how second division teams play. I'm not going to put lipstick on a pig. And Keith Hernandez, you've been absolutely on fire this, this last, I guess, as things have fallen apart, the booth has just gotten better and better. Uh, it, it's why that they are who they are. But, um, you know, I, I said it probably on the last show. I know I said it on the Apple. Finishing strong is a very important aspect of a, of a quote-unquote lost season, which this has turned out to be. And this team's done anything but finish strong. It's actually been uh, extremely disappointing to see. From a fan's perspective, and and even you know looking at these players after writing about them all well for the last few seasons, but um, just seeing everything fall apart, and with so many so many more questions than he anticipated coming into even into the second half of the season, you're like, all right, well, you know, you have question marks, but guys are coming around. You have a nice core, but even now, you have to. We'll go over the numbers, but you have to kind of wonder, like. Ah, what 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 just happened? What have we seen? But again, we'll we'll get into all that. I do want to make a quick note. Um, after the Brewers won on Sunday, uh, of course they clinched the American League Central, and they were celebrating in the stadium, did all their confetti. But something that kind of struck me, and and I was not taken aback by, but I just took notice of, were the Mets. They they hung out in the dugout and watched the celebration, which you don't really see that very often. They sat there and watched it, and they weren't joking. They weren't. They had straight, solemn faces. It's they. <laughs> it was apparent that they knew, and they know, I should say, that they lost. They left opportunities on the table. They left ducks on the pond by the dozen. Again, we'll get into all the numbers, and it's um, it's concerning, but. Of course, we're going to find some positive light in it. So, yeah, let's get into it. Um, finishing strong. Finishing strong, as we said, is very important. That has not happened. Um, you know, heading into the St. Louis series, which began on September 13th, uh, the Mets were three and a half back in the wild card. They were four and a half back in the division. They have since lost 10 of 11. They it, Heading into Sunday... They were hitting 224, 290, 339 as a team, which is 
of course, never, ever, ever going to cut it. Uh, <laughs> the runners on, in scoring position, which have been a, a, an issue pretty much all season. They had some high points, but for the most part, it's been the uh, the Achilles heel of this group. Um, again, since the start of the, the Cardinal series, which up until the middle of this past week, theoretically, the Mets could have still gone on a run and made things interesting, but it just, it never happened. But uh, 17 for 83, which, you know what? I got my calculator right, right here. Let's, let's give that a look. 17 for 83. That's a 205 batting average with runners in scoring position, which is, it, it's actually much worse than what they've done with, uh, in the same spots during the season, which is still not good, but that's even worse. You know, 79 men left on base over the last 11 games. That's, um, uh, a game-changing amount of runs left on the on the base paths, you know. And this has been the story all season. The Mets have been atrocious with runners in scoring position outside of like July. July they were a good offensive team, and that's about it. Um, you know, in September there's been upticks, but again, they, we've talked about this all season. They've just been chance after chance given to them. Gifted to them a weak division, um, staying alive throughout all those injuries. It just it, it, they had everything in their hands, and and they let it drop. And they know that. I, it's clear that they know that. Finally, you know, now reality's starting to set in. We've seen Pete Alonso uh, acknowledge, you know, last week that you know things are pretty much damn near impossible, and they were at that point. And now, of course, those dreams are dead. Uh, Louis Rojas. Louis Rojas, you guys know, I'm a very big fan of, of, of Louis Rojas. He's been in the organization for like 15 years. Uh, great baseball mind, comes from great baseball lineage. He, I think a, a strong finish was his chance to, I don't want to say save his job because he's not assured to be let go. I think that hot seat would be an understatement for where he stands right now. Um, but a, a strong finish certainly would have given him some momentum going into the offseason. Uh, the way that this team has you know, played as of late with a week left in the season, um, you know, you lose 10 out of 11 when you're still alive. You you, you play a second half that you only hit, oh my goodness. You set, The Mets have had a 724 OPS in the second half. It's 21st in baseball. And this is with their healthy team. This is after the, the bench mob. This is when everyone's back. And, uh, you know, we, we've we've seen guys have very, very bad seasons. So you're Dom Smith's. Jeff McNeil's had an off year. Michael Conforto's had a bad year. Francisco Lindor, who we're, we're going to talk about him in a second, um, not on par with what we've seen, especially from the core that's been here. You know, you can look back um, – this group, we've talked about it recently. This group was a, a, a top-flight offensive team through the last, you know, what, I'm not going to call 2020 a season, but through the last season and a half, which is what that was, the Mets were the fifth-best team in baseball by weighted runs created plus. I mean, that's a, a solid core. Not much of that changed. This this season saw everybody drop off. Um, I think we saw the the benefit of having reinforcements around that core. And of course, expectations came with those reinforcements, you know, of, um, of course, 
Francisco Lindor, having him in the folds just kind of made it was the move that was supposed to take this core to the next level. And then bringing in Javi, ba- Javi Baez was the same thing. It was the move that was supposed to take this core to the next level. Yeah, you know, I'll talk on. I'll touch on uh, on Lindor for a second now. I mean, it was a disappointing season. There's no getting around that. Um, he said it last week. He said, "I feel like we had a really good team coming into the year. Uh, we have collapsed, and I haven't performed, especially. I know if I would have played a little better, we could have won more games, and we'd be fighting for first place right now." No lies detected there. He's right. Um, it doesn't all fall on him. But, yes, having one of your more, your most talented players performing at a high level certainly would have helped the Mets' chances. There's no way around that. Uh, it takes a village to get these things done. But, you know, the village failed as well. So it's on everybody. Uh, Lindor had a very slow start. Uh, 43 weighted runs created plus, which is 57% worse than the average major league player. That was from opening day until May 5th, so 111 plate appearances. Of course, everyone was very impatient, um, having just given that big extension, and there was a lot of excitement around this team. Everybody thought this was going to be the year. You had a, a group that was coming together. You had the best pitcher on the planet. You had a nice supporting cast, and it just, you know, Lindor not getting off on the right foot, um, it set a narrative. And and there were a lot of people that were very upset. And, oh, Cohen wasted $340 million on a, on a, on a player that's, that's garbage, he's trash. And they're still saying it now. So you know the narrative took took place. It, you know, these people don't – these people – you know, there's a certain – excuse me, a certain subset of fans that, that you know – We'll still only look at batting average. We'll still only look at season numbers and say, oh, look, at he's hitting 220. He had a bad year. Yeah, he had a really bad year, but there's still encourage, encouraging aspects to take away. Like, if you look at Lindor, um, after that really terrible start from May 6th until when he got hurt, that was July 16th. So that's 258 plate appearances. He hit 257, 346, 446. He walked in almost 11% of his plate appearances. He struck out in less than 20% of his plate appearances. His 120 weighted runs created plus was pretty much right on the level with what his peak weighted runs created plus was. 122 from 2017 through 2019. That was undisputedly his peak. Um, and actually, it, I, I wrote about this all on the Apple. If you cut that down to his final 185 plate appearances before he got hurt. That line is 269, 357, 475. Like, you know, he was coming around, and then you have a a nasty oblique injury and kept him out for a while, and it took a little while for him to get back, but he did. And all the while, he's playing outstanding defense. He came into Sunday, uh, came into Saturday. Uh, I'm sure it hasn't changed since. Tied for the major league lead in outs above average of all position players, plus 19. Nicky Lopez from Kansas City, also a shortstop, is tied with him. Nice player, having an outstanding second half, but nobody hears about him because he's in Kansas City. That's where Major League Baseball has to pick things up. You have so many marketable players in small market teams. Like, if people were watching the Pirates on a regular basis, yeah, they lose a lot of games, but that's a fun group. 
Same thing with the Royals. Sal Perez is having an outstanding year. I bet you they've played, what, maybe one, two ESPN Sunday night games, maybe? Anyway, I don't want to get off track. So coming back from the I.O., Lindor scuffled. He was not playing well. Um, turned it around. Uh, heading into Saturday, he was right around that same line that he was before he got hurt. 270-ish, 370-ish, over 500 in slugging because of the <laughs> the three home runs against the Yankees. He hit another home run on Sunday, struck out four times on Saturday. That was his, I believe it was his third or fourth golden sombrero. The SNY booth was, was getting into it. But, um, you know, it, it, it kind of embodies this whole Mets season. You find the group finds a, a little rhythm, they find a little momentum, and then poof, it's gone. Then they find it again. And then just it's been so elusive and the adjustments. I know we talked about the coaching staff last week, how that kind of falls on them because players aren't necessarily the ones, you know, they have to perform. But when things are bad, that's why coaches coaches and coaching staffs and, and analytics people and that's why every major league organization employs a, a giant staff of people to Put players in the best position to succeed. When players are not in the best position to succeed, they fall into slumps and they go up and down because they're relying on their instincts to just snap out of it. And I think that's probably where you can lay blame on the coaching staff is that they didn't... Of course, we don't know this. This is outside looking in, but it just seemed at times like guys were lost. And without the... uh, (laughs) the life-saving device that, that coaches are supposed to be, um, we could see those those uh, shortcomings, you know, magnified. And then that, that could sink a ship, and, and we saw it this year. You know, you could look right down the list. In the second half, we just said it before, the Mets have been uh, one of the, you know, in the bottom third uh, on, on offense. Runners in scoring position this season, Mets are uh, 236, 332, 363. They're 695 OPS with runners in scoring positions, 27th in baseball. A little over 1,300 plate appearances is 25th in baseball. Um, you know, they're just not a good offensive team. And yes, you can look at past performance and say, but they were. They were, but they weren't this year. And maybe that changes. Maybe, you know, plans are, are set into motion to reinforce this roster even further. Maybe getting off on a new foot will help. Maybe it's time that that a new uh, a new captain's at the, the front of the ship. Who knows? Who knows? They have a lot of decisions to make. Um, what? Excuse me. What? What jumped out to me the most uh, with the, the the Mets with bases loaded this season? Um, they had the eighth most plate appearances with bases loaded this season. One hundred and sixty plate appearances. <laughs> they hit 220, 313, 331 in those spots. 643 OPS was 26th in baseball. Not going to get it done. Just simply not going to – it's never going to get it done. Those are the opportunities that you have to capitalize on. You know, runners in scoring position, bases loaded, playing bad teams. All of these situations and spots are are times that you need to be at your best and ah for goodness sake um (laughs) the Mets have not been able to find the consistency necessary to get over that hump ever and they'll go on little runs and they'll go on stretches and then they just 
collectively lose it. And uh, I think as a, as a fan base, we're about to freaking collectively lose it. Um, and the pitching, you know, the pitching's been inconsistent. But, boy, all things considered, this group's been terrific. I mean, you look at their group stats. The Mets, their, their team ERA, 3.90. This is heading into Sunday. Tenth in baseball. Bullpen and starting pitching ERA, which is both in like the 3.8, 3.9 area. Starting the, the starters are ninth in the ERA. The bullpen is 11th. Um, as a team, they're fielding independent pitching rating, which is, uh, you know, taking pretty much, it's pretty much throwing league average defense into the mix. It's only the stuff that pitchers are responsible for themselves. So home runs, walks, and strikeouts. <laughs> it's a 4.04. 4. It's an ERA type stat, but it's based, it, it takes everything else out of the equation. So 4.04 fielding independent pitching rating, that's 10th in baseball. Um, their strikeout rate, 16.9%, sixth in baseball. That's for the whole staff. Uh, 8.2 walk rate, that's seventh in baseball. Again, whole staff. There's talent here on both sides of the chalk. There's talent here. There's no question. Um, you just gotta, gotta move, move your pieces around and get, you know, like I said, put, put your team in the best position to succeed. And yeah, things were really screwed up this year with, all the injuries in the first half and all the slumps and just a lack of adjustments. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm very hesitant to put that all on one specific area, like I said, but it's, uh, it's concerning to say the least. Um, you know, you look up and down the core, we've talked about Jeff McNeil and, and Dom Smith, but look at J.D. Davis. J.D. Davis is kind of the epitome of the, the hoping and wishing that, I guess, organizations do. There's no question that J.D. Davis, as an offensive player, has an extremely high ceiling. We've, I mean, just what he's done since he's come up, even this season. He's been dealing with a hand injury. He's still, you know, 380-something OBP, 280-something batting average. Even as of late, he's been back to hitting. And Dom Smith, as of late, back to hitting. He's doing it in a pinch-hitting role, but... Um, I think that kind of speaks to where this team is has to go from here. I know a lot of people are saying that J.D. Davis would seem like the first person to be traded. I don't agree with that. I really don't. Uh, excuse me. I got to take a sip of water, but I got some ice with it. Excuse me. But I really don't. I don't agree with trading away what's looking to be an extremely viable bench piece in J.D. Davis for what? To get another bullpen relief pitcher? Why trade away solid parts when it just costs money to bring in somebody else? You know, like I said, the Mets are going to have a lot of decisions on their hands. That The first decision on the docket is going to be uh, who's calling all the shots. But we're going to take a very quick break because we have more mailbag questions this week. You guys are great. Our listeners and our followers on Twitter have been excellent with giving us questions to answer. So we'll close things out with a few uh, a few of their questions. Hang tight. We'll hear from our sponsors. All right, everybody. We are back. Uh, we have been discussing, you know, <laughs> pretty much is, uh, it feels like a wake for the Mets season. Um, just lamenting what went wrong. Uh, of course, shining a light on the good points, but uh, the... Uh, the disappointing nature of it all, pretty much. Um, in the second half of the show, though, we're going to try and answer some questions. And, of course, they revolve around what's been 
happening with this team, what's going to be happening with this team. And of course, if you guys ever have questions for the show, jump on Twitter. That's the easiest way to, to find us, uh, either myself or at the Apple, or even at Simply Amazing. Admittedly, I don't check Simply Amazing's Twitter page as often as I should. So I would either go to me, Timothy R. Ryder on Twitter, or the Apple, the Apple NYM. If you have any questions for the show, we pretty much answer them all. So really, anytime. So we're going to start off from the top. My buddy Martin. Marty, what's up, my man? Um, Of course, you wanted to ask me if I opened any Bowman Chrome from this year yet. I have not. I entered a couple of of box breaks, but um, I kind of been focusing on my collection at home. Haven't really been adding to it much as of late. Uh, I will be, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll probably miss the wave on... uh, on getting in while it's cheap. I'm sure one of those players, well, you can always do well with Bowman Chrome through the winter because, of course, guys aren't playing. Once, you know, spring training starts and uh, everyone gets back, uh, gets baseball fever back, forget about it. Prices go back up through the roof. It's a living, breathing market, everybody. It's kind of wild. But no, no Bowman Chrome yet, but I will certainly keep you guys, keep you guys updated. We're going to be doing another hobby show. Very soon. Once the season wraps up, we're going to go back to one show a week and, uh, you know, really kind of have some fun with the off season. There'll be a lot of, you know, ongoing news, hot stove stuff, but yeah, have a couple of guests lined up. I think you guys will have fun. Hobby will be one of our topics. But uh, Martin's other question was with Aaron Loop as the Mets pretty much clear front runner for uh, best pitcher this season. And even that's arguable because Marcus Stroman's been absolutely terrific. Martin wants to know who the Mets' second best is. So I'm going to do a 1A, 1B between Stroman and uh, and Loop. Because, I mean, well, you have to put DeGrom in, but I'm kind of leaving him out of the equation right now because, you know, with the injury, it was kind of a next man up thing. And and Stroman just came in and, and absolutely, you know, soared. He did. He took over the ace role, and he he ran with it. You know, he has two starts left this season. I believe he's on schedule to make the last start of the season. So we'll have one before that uh, this week and and one on, uh, was that, next Sunday. But, you know, everyone can kind of look at Diaz as a disappointment, Eben Diaz. But, you know, when... It's it's kind of tough to put a, a. How do I describe Edwin Diaz? When Edwin Diaz is really good, he's one of the best pitchers in the game. When Edwin Diaz is bad, he is one of the most frustrating pitchers in the game. Um, I still think that he's probably been the Mets. You know, well after Degrom and after Loop and Strowman, I, I would say he's probably the Mets next the Mets next best pitcher this year. And yeah, you know, his stats won't necessarily reflect that, but his stuff is just so damn electric. And and you know, he's gone on prolonged stretches where he's been outstanding. Trevor May. Trevor May has hiccups. You know, he'll have – he's had some con- command issues. The walks have been a little high this year. And he, he's had these little spurts of, of just not having it. And then he'll go on these, you know, 10, 15 appearance stretches – where he's just totally on, totally just locked in. And he's another guy who has just been extremely uh, encouraged by. 
you know, there's been a, there's certainly a drop off after the, the, the DeGrom and the Strowman and the loop upper tier, but, but the Mets have, like we said in the first half of the show, um, they've been a, a top 10 team, uh, pitching wise, you know, have they been quote unquote clutch? Not all the time. No staff is every bull bullpen is, is volatile and, and that happens. And I think that's certainly an area that the Mets are going to have to look into reinforcing next year. But you have a nice group here. I think you have to bring Loop back. You have to make every single effort to bring Stroman back. You, you have to hope that DeGrom comes back healthy and uh, you can get Syndergaard here for, uh, you know, if he can come back for Syndergaard, of course, if he can come back for, a, I don't know, two, three-year deal, with incentives and stuff like that, avoiding a qualifying offer to give the Mets a little more flexibility this year, next year, so on and so forth. I'd love to see that because, again, there's a lot of talent here. I think Taiwan Walker, with the buildup that he's been able to – of course, he hasn't had the results that he's wanted over the second half, but building himself back up to a 150-inning, 160-inning pitcher is going to have benefits. And sure, he might not finish strong. He might he might very well be out of gas. Same thing with Tyler McGill. These guys might be completely taxed by this point. And it's very possible they are. But um, getting them conditioned to this point it, and going into the offseason with so much, with just a set plan saying, okay, this is my benchmark from 2021. This is what I'm working for in 2022. Um, and, and the same thing on the other side of the ball, which we'll get to, but um, it comes back to finishing strong. Like, you know, if this team would have went into the, if they, even if they go, you know, let's say they win five out of six, uh, excuse me, five out of seven or six out of seven, who care, whatever, over the last week of the season, you know, that sets a good vibe for, for things, no matter how the off season shakes out. It was a disappointing year, but there's, you know, Sending guys off into the offseason with a little bit of momentum, a little bit of steam behind them is never a bad thing. And I think for uh, for this pitching staff, which like like I just said, I tried to answer your question, but kind of got really off track. Um, we've had such drop off after those top tier guys. Um, I think there's a lot of room for improvement and a lot of opportunity to find some consistency. And a lot of room for growth for guys like Peterson and, and McGill and, and, and even, you know, Lucchese and Carrasco, who had his season all, you know, thrown upside down by injuries and setbacks. And he still hasn't been able to really find. He gave up five runs on <laughs> on, on Sunday, uh, you know, very early on. It wasn't a first anything, but it was a early game issue. And, you know, you have to take it all in stride. I have every bit of confidence in Jeremy Hefner and – you know, they, and I guess whoever the Mets decide to lead up, I, they were rumored to be speaking with Kyle Bodie, who, uh, of course, is one of the top guys at Driveline Baseball, uh, runs the Cincinnati Reds minor league pitching department, I guess you could say, uh, pitching development department. Um, the Mets were rumored to have been speaking with him. So, you know, I, I have every every bit of confidence that, They'll get the most out of the group that's here. I would like to see reinforcements. But to answer your question, it's been Loop and Stroman, and I'd, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to go to not go Edwin Diaz there, but it's a tough call because there's such a drop-off. And uh, 
that was a very long-winded way to answer your question, Marty. So thank you. <laughs> thanks for the question. I'm sorry to uh, to bite your ear off with the answer. Let's let's keep it moving. Um, Chris Chianese. I hope I pronounced your name right, pal. My bad. Uh, he has a. This is a kind of a deep question here. So with uh, the Mets couldn't make a. I'm paraphrasing his question here. The Mets couldn't make a president of baseball operations hire work last season. So among the uh, Billy Bean, David Cerns, Theo Epstein kind of carousel this year, um, one, why, what, what makes you think it's going to work? And if it doesn't, what's next? Or what's, what's the uh, plan B? Chris, I wish I could give you answers for that. I, I, you know, I, if I had to have my pick out of those three guys, and if, of course this is, depending if the A's let him let Stearns go and talk to the Mets, if Oakland lets Bean go and talk to the Mets, if Theo's even interested in the job. Um, if I had to have my pick out of those three, I like Stearns. I like Stearns a whole lot. I, I find it very, very hard to believe that Milwaukee won't do everything they can to keep him in the fold, whether that be a promotion, a salary increase, do whatever they can. Stearns is from New York. I want to say he used to work with the Mets. He was an intern, like right out of college or something, you know, years ago before he really started his professional career. Maybe he wants to come back here with Steve Cohen at the helm with that type of financial leeway. Yeah, that might be my pick. I also like Billy Bean. I'm not crazy about Theo. I don't think Theo's the end-all, be-all to what needs to be done here. I think he's a great baseball mind, but... Uh, you know, problematic because he kind of <laughs> fostered the growth of the Mets. La- well, two of the three Mets <laughs> last. Uh, oh, well, no, two. Both of the Mets' last two GMs um, kind of grew under under Epstein, and and uh, you know that's uh, that's a story for another day. But yeah, even just <clears throat> I I don't know. Theo is, he builds winners, but he seems like he's more cut out for the Theo show. He's accomplished all he can accomplish as a, as a front office guy. How can, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you, you get Boston their first World Series in a century. You get Chicago their first World Series in a century. <laughs> you have uh, the Mets next on the list. As far as, you know, just reviving just a sad sack organization, uh, uh, an absolutely beaten down fan base, the story would be cool. But I, I think that Stearns and even Bean, man. All right. So what Billy Bean's been able to do in Oakland for so long um, on such a a thin payroll, a thin financial sheet of ice that any wrong move and, you know, Oh well, this is where the this is where the road ends. This is where it falls apart. Whatever. Um, I think with the flexibility that being in a major market, that flexibility would give Billy Bean. It would turn him into like a a superpower. It would. Um, he'd be able to you know use all of that experience in finding value or finding the most value. And apply that to a, a different system with more resources and, and 
it just seems like a, the option with the most potential, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think I would go Bean. If I had my decision out of the three and nobody was holding him back, Bean would be my guy. What happens if the Mets can't land any of these guys and they have to make a last-minute call? And, and you know what? I'm moving up Brad. Brad B. Brad Bedini. This is my guy, man. Brad is uh, – you guys, I'm sure you see him on Twitter. He always tweets a, uh, on this date for whether it's the Mets, whether it's just in baseball. It's not even always on this date. It, it's just cool, cool clips that he finds on YouTube and all that fun stuff. But Brad asked, how soon do you think the Mets are going to be you know, addressing their president of baseball operations and, and all the way down the line because you don't know what's going to be going on with the, with the GM job and all that fun stuff. So um, I'm going to kind of answer both here. So I think that Brad – I think that the Mets are going to make this top priority if they haven't already. And for Chris, what happens if they can't land one of their top choices? They're kind of going to have to, you know, they better have a plan B and plan C already in the works because they're going to have to move fast because they saw last offseason how quick things move and how not having a, a team in place to make these decisions can really affect them. I know. Hindsight being 2020, look at Brad Hand. The whole transition of power last year, the Mets missed out on Brad Hand. Sandy came in and said, oh, I would have liked Brad Hand. We know now he didn't have the year that you know he thought he was going to have, anybody thought he was going to have. Would have been a bad signing. But if something like that happens again, where, oh, this guy's available. We got to get on that, but we don't have a fucking decision maker. <laughs> Excuse me. We don't have a decision maker in place. Um, that's, you know, that's comes at a detriment to the Mets. So I think that's going to be first on their list. Absolutely. From there, you know, you, you have more decisions you have to make. Um, Jake Stevens. There it is, Jake. Always appreciate your uh, interactions on Twitter. And Jake has a question, which kind of leads right from what we were just talking about. Who will be the manager next year? Excellent question, Jake. Uh, <laughs> you know, we talked about Louis Rojas in the first half of the show. Been with this organization forever. Um, good baseball mind. Well, very well respected. It's already been reported that he should have no problem finding another job if the Mets do part ways with him or if they do part ways. You have to wonder. Um, the I don't want to say non-reaction that he got from his players down the stretch. Because it was, it was clear that that the um, the positive attitude was there, the the collective optimism that hey we could turn this around was there. It just it never happened. Um, so I'm kind of fifty fifty on whether what's more important in that equation. Yes, everyone's motivated to do well, but no, they didn't produce. It's a double edged sword, I guess in a sense. Um, there have been people saying, oh, I think Louis Rojas deserves to, to stay and, and get a real shot because in actuality, he, he only he's only had now a season and a half. Um, during that time, the Mets have been very up and down. They've been very affected by injuries, by, you know, half the team slumping. And, and this is, you know, we talked about it in the first half. You look at these guys' track records in this core, the guys who did slump this year and to say that, that it was unexpected would be, um, you know, 
very shy of uh, of the truth. Like this, a lot of these things came out of left field. No one expected Tom Smith to, to come back down to earth so much harder. No one expected Jeff McNeil to go from, you know, he had the highest batting average in baseball since his debut heading into this season. And uh, he's in like 260 this year. So, you know, it, very unexpected downturns. And does that all fall on the manager? No, of course not. He doesn't swing the bat. But the um, we also talked about in the first half how over the, you know, when this team had to fire themselves up, when this team still had life in the playoff race, they, they came out flat too much. Rojas' decisions too often cost the Mets runs, cost the Mets games. You have to really um, treat it with kid gloves, but you also have to make a a decision quickly because free agents, they want to know that there's um, stability there. They don't want to come in and say, oh, well, we don't know who our manager is going to be yet, but please come sign with us. That's not, you know, nobody wants to hear that. Um, I think it's going to be up to the, the, the leaders in the clubhouse to say whether they think, of course, this is never going to get out to the press, but privately, I wouldn't be shocked if ownership hasn't already begun speaking to players and saying, what do you guys think of, of, of Louie? Is he your manager moving forward? I mean, Lindor's here for the next 10 years. Lindor, uh, Pete Alonso's here for the foreseeable future. Brandon Nimmo's still under contract for a few years. Jeff McNeil, um, you know, J- Jacob deGrom, who's unquestionably uh, a team leader, uh, you know, a face of the franchise. These guys are going to give ownership honest answers when it comes to, is Louis the guy? And um, Tough for me to answer. Which way the Mets will go if he's not the guy? That's a great question. Um, there's going to be a lot of managerial overturn, I think, this offseason. I think a lot of teams are going to be parting ways with their managers. If the Twins fire Rocco Baldelli, which I don't expect. I think that they like Baldelli. I think that that's a long-term plan for them. But the the Twins have, you know, they liked Paul Molitor too, and they canned him. Um, I, I, I would be all over Rocco Baldelli. I think he's... Uh, a very smart baseball guy. I think he's um, the type of, I don't want to say even keel because that's kind of a Louis Rojas thing and there's nothing wrong with even keel, but you know, there's at times, you know, if, if Louis Rojas isn't barking at the umpires, you don't really see that much emotion out of him. And I'm not saying you need emotion. We've gone down this road before with, you know, stupid Mickey Calloway and, you know, there's a lot of people calling for an old school type manager and uh, whether Bruce Boshi's back in the mix or I, I don't want Buck Showalter back. <laughs> uh, you know, he's a, an, another well-respected guy, but I just can't see that working out all too well. Um, of course, what do I know? I, I pay attention on the field. Uh, you know, I, I, I trust the organization to do the right thing and even probably take suggestions from players. Who do they? Who who would they want here? Because that's what it comes down to. Who are the players gonna play for? Who are they gonna play at their best for? Who are they? I mean, of course, there's a lot riding on this. They they're not playing for their manager. They're playing for themselves. They're playing for their team. But it's up to a manager. You know, the the decision making aspect of being a manager is still there. But you know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the job description entails um, 
more of a motivational side too. And, and I think Rojas does that well. Just the flatness at the end of this season didn't bode well for, for his, uh, his prospects going into the offseason, in my opinion. Um, yeah, where, where the Mets might go from here is, is kind of anybody's guess. I would probably lean against the quote-unquote old-school manager. Uh, you know, but I really don't know. I really, you know, I don't know. It, you know, my ideal guy would be Rocco Baldelli, but we'll see if he hits the market. We'll see if it, if it goes that way. Yeah, you know, that's going to be something to watch for. I'm curious myself. Um, who's next? Um, John Wall Street. We have John Wall Street. The most radical change to the offense that I expect. Hmm. To be honest, I don't expect wild changes. Um, I expect most of the core to stay in place. Of course, they're all under contract. Um, I'd like to see, you know, Dom Smith become the everyday first baseman if there's a DH. Because uh, he's a very capable defensive first baseman, and I do like his bat. And even on days that you're going to use another DH, because Jeff McNeil is still going to be your super utility guy, so you want to, you know, give Baez a day out of the field, you can. You want to give whoever out a day out of the field, you can. So, you know, Dom Smith can become a bench player where he has thrived in the past, where he's thriving now. You know, yeah. <sighs> I think, and we saw it on Sunday, Jonathan VR pretty much thrown away um, a few runs in the sixth inning uh, with that, you know, just kind of inexplicable play at third base. Um, I think the Mets, what would be the most radical change was, would to be to bring in a true third baseman, a real top tier. And it doesn't even have to be a true third baseman, just a upper level, upper echelon player who could play third base like again jd davis we talked about it in the first half he's it looks more and more like he's being like he's more best cut out for a bench role great cool i want him on the bench but you still need a third baseman jonathan vr i you know he the mets might bring him back as a bench guy i can't see him getting a contract to be a starter with the mets um and jeff mcneil much prefer to see him move all around if he's going to be a third great Luis Guillorme, I think he has it in him to be a very important piece. Maybe not a star, you know, a starter at third base, but um, in a rotation, if that's the way they decide to go, sure, I'd be okay with that. You want radical though? Um, go bring in Chris Bryant. Gives you the versatility in the corner spots in the outfield. He plays a very good third base. He's been a an above average hitter again. I mean, he's had his ups and downs this year, but um, this is someone that would make the Mets a better team, in my opinion. And yeah, I also want to see him go out and get Javi Baez and keep Javi Baez. And that's going to cost a a ton of money. And uh, you know, the Mets, I believe I I was digging around this week with the, uh, with the payroll. I, you know, this season, their payroll, I guess they're, I'm sorry, their uh, luxury tax payroll, was just shy of two hundred million, one hundred ninety nine point five. Next season, with with Robinson Cano's money back on the books, which we're going to talk about in a second, is at one thirty one. Uh, I don't know. By the way, you probably start following if you're not already Jacob Resnick because Jacob's really really good with the uh, off season arbitration numbers, off season payroll numbers. Chris Soto too. Christopher Soto on Twitter. Search for both of those guys because they'll really keep you abreast. But 
with the arbitration figures and, you know, maybe what that goes up to, I don't know, from 130 to 160. That's just a rough estimate. Then you got to think about, you know, your qualifying offers. Let's say you got to send a qualifying offer to Syndergaard. You got to send a qualifying offer to Conforto and they both accept. That's 40 million right there. Stroman, got to assume he's getting 25 million per. So that's up to 65 million. Uh, Baez, got to assume Baez is getting 25 million per. It's up to 90 million. You want to add a third baseman who's an upper upper echelon guy? Let's just estimate that's 25 million. You know, now you're 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 up near the two, 250, 260, 280 million range, and uh, you know that's why Steve Cohen's here. He said he's not just going to dance over the uh, or tiptoe over the over the, the luxury tax threshold. He's going to blow past it. You know, the the first year that the Dodgers were were really kicking into gear, you know, they went out and, and kicked a, a $260, $270 million payroll out there and said, let's do it. And since then, they've won like, you know, they've been to nine straight postseasons. So th- there's certainly a proof in that pudding. Uh, lends credence to the, to the, you know, buy yourself a championship type of thing. Yeah, they didn't get a World Series title for a while, but still, they've been a very cream of the croppish type team since they've started spending buku dollars. And, um, you know, if you want to keep this core together or if you want to go ahead and just let guys go and bring new guys in, you're still looking at something in the, the, the high $200 million paywall range. Why not just go all out? Give me Chris Bryant a third. Go out and get Carlos Correa to play third. If Nolan Arenado opts out of his deal, oh my God, forget about it. You just you have a lot of options that the Mets can go, but that would be my most radical change to this offense is bringing in an actual top-line player, elite-level player to play third base. If you want to go out and bring Starling Marte in to play center field, bring Conforto back and him put him and Nimmo in the corners, that's a, a formidable outfield as well. But um, you could do Bryant and, and kind of get the same effect. You keep Nimmo in center, Bryant in left Conforto and right or vice versa or, you know, you make it all work and uh, there's going to be options. I, I But it all comes down to the Mets spending money. And <laughs> my last question here is from Jude Cam. Jude is a, a loyal reader, um, loyal follower on Twitter, been around forever. I believe still contributes at Metsmerized occasionally. And uh, I, I said on, the, on Twitter, this is, I have to stay unbiased, but this is my favorite question because... It adds a wrinkle to everything that we're kind of overseeing. But Robinson Cano, who we noted is back in the mix next year, at least he's on the books for next year. What the Mets do with him is going to be uh, to be determined. But, you know, before he got popped for steroids or or performance enhancing drugs again, he was hitting. Um, He's, you know, going to be 39 next year. So uh, he's getting up there in age. Um, Just looking at his numbers, he's a – a Hall of Fame caliber player, whether he gets there with the with the PED bust is going to be another question altogether. But if you have to pay, I believe it's going to be eighteen million. You have to pay Cano next year. It's twenty four minus six million that the Mariners are kicking in. I don't have the number in front of me, but I, I keep him on board. I really do. I don't care if he's a eighteen twenty million dollar bench player. I really don't because if you need the extra body, if you need capable defense. If you need, if somebody gets hurt, 
What if Baez gets hurt? You need an everyday second baseman. You got Robinson Cano on your bench? Go ahead and throw him in there. So what's going to happen? He's on the, he's on the payroll anyway. You know, it's not like you're going out and trading for him. It's not like you're going out and, and signing him. He's already here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for it. If he can be a, an asset, great. Um, again, you, you have to kind of wonder if the Mets entertain buying him out. But again, if he's already here, you might as well see what you got. You know, if he's hitting in spring training, he looks healthy. Who knows? Maybe someone's interested in trade, and you pick up more money on him. So you're getting six million from the Mariners. You're picking up. Uh, you're kicking another four, and someone picks him up, and you get a good prospect. Who knows? You got a lot of ways to go. But personally, I keep Cano in the mix. I see where that goes. Um, guys, I can't believe I got through almost a freaking hour. My goodness. Uh there was one more thing. Oh, my God, I, I should have done this at the top of the hour. I hope it doesn't. Uh, I hope I keep listeners through the whole thing. But, um, guys, the unbelievable honor, privilege, and just shock. I was invited to be a panelist at this year's que- uh, Queens Baseball Convention. It's being held at Mulcahy's Pub in Wontaw. It's spelled Wontog. If you're uh, not from Long Island and you see it on the map, that's how it's spelled, W-A-N-T-A-G-H, but it's pronounced Wontaw. Uh, That's on Saturday, November 13th. I believe festivities kick off at around 11 a.m. Tickets are on sale now, queensbaseballconvention.com. Just, you know, Mark Healy, um, Keith, just these guys, I'm over the moon to have been invited to participate. Um... I, I'm absolutely speechless. I'm so excited. <laughs> I can't, cannot begin to, uh, to express my delight at, at being involved in this. It's, uh, you know, I've been there as a, as a fan. Now I'm going there as a panel. It just, you know, you told me this three years ago. I'd said, tell you to shut the F up, man. I swear. Having so much fun. Um, yeah. So please go out and get your tickets. Gary Cohen's going to be there. Ron Darling's going to be there. Todd Frazier's going to be there. Uh, I'm on a panel with Tim Healy uh, from Newsday, Lori Robinson from WFAN, uh, Mark Healy, that's the State of the Mets panel. I believe there's going to be a Mets author panel. Uh, and, and just so cool. I cannot wait. Um, also, keep an eye out. I got I spoke with Marcus Stroman this week, which was awesome. Um, got to talk a little bit about... I guess the, the, the process of, of not pitching last season and, and coming into 2021 and absolutely, uh, I guess, putting all doubters to, to rest with the season he's put together. And, uh, yeah, got some a really nice conversation with Marcus. Going to be working on something this week. So keep an eye out uh, for that coming out, probably right as the season's winding down. And, yeah, guys, well, you know, but just – my goodness, having so much fun. I, I, I don't know if you could, you know, sometimes you can hear a smile on someone's face, but if you listen close enough, you can actually hear the smile on my face right now. I'm having a lot of fun, to say the least. But uh, on that note, uh, you guys know the sign-off by now. It's Let's Fucking Go Mets. We will see you. You know what? We're going to have a Sunday show next week, cap off the season. And, uh, well, I should say a Monday show. So we're going to forego Friday. We're going to start from now on. It'll be every Monday. So uh, we'll see you next Monday. Let's effing go, Mets. Peace. Peace.